It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 46 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? I have more evidence that Gen Z is not as cool as they think they are. At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Sammy P. Breaking down this weekend's NFL playoff games for you DGens and the future of Longhorn football from the Vegas perspective. And a mere seconds, we now know Nick Saban's replacement in Tuscaloosa. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Congratulations to Kalen DeBoer, the new head football coach at Alabama, per numerous reports that started trickling out earlier this afternoon. The first from Pete Thamel, college football senior writer for ESPN. And this is a really good hire for Alabama, even though DeBoer may not have been their first choice, according to the rumblings of many over the last couple of days. That honor probably goes to Dan Lanning. Steve Sarkeesian may have been higher on the list. Mike Norvell might have been as well. But you could argue that DeBoer is the best of that bunch with what he's accomplished in a short amount of time in Washington, really throughout his career as a head football coach. And even though I am skeptical that personality-wise, that is a good fit at Alabama, and I think DeBoer may realize that too, ultimately, he is a guy who's smart enough to understand not to pass up an opportunity like this, even if ultimately he maybe wanted the Michigan job a little bit more, and I think that would have been a better fit personality-wise. DeBoer going to Alabama makes a lot of sense for many reasons, primarily the fact that he is really good at coaching football. His Washington Huskies had an electric offense this year, especially when everybody was healthy, but also a sort of toughness that people were sleeping on for a lot of the season as well. Texas football fans found that out on New Year's night at the Superdome in New Orleans. A game that, despite playing a C-plus game, Texas very nearly won, but Washington was the initiator in that game, forcing Texas to play catch-up pretty much the entire time. Texas is able to tie it up a couple of different times, but ultimately Washington was too much for the Longhorns. And now Alabama gets that. Because it's Alabama, I'm sure you have fans griping that he is not the best option, but I would posit that there aren't many examples of guys going from great situations to other great situations. It's why Mike Norvell, and you're going to hear Sam Paniatovich and me talk about this next segment Our conversation was recorded this morning before the DeBoer announcement had been made. And I said at the time, look, DeBoer, in a sense, does make sense going to Alabama, but he's also leaving a really good situation for him. So there may be, not skepticalness, but uh, he may be reluctant to take that job, especially if he considers the Michigan job to be a better one. And there's a good chance Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan at some point in the next couple of weeks for the NFL. But he is also not disrespecting what's right in front of him, and that is a chance to follow Nick Saban 
at a school like Alabama, which is the creme de la creme in college football. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that Alabama roster right now. Isaiah Bond a little bit earlier today entered his name into the transfer portal, I guess. I thought the transfer portal closed January 2nd. But Isaiah Bond is in the transfer portal, whatever that means. Maybe it means that he is has a chance to transfer after the spring. I'm actually a little bit confused about that now that I say it. I read that was happening earlier. Now I'm looking at an article that says Bond took advantage of the NCAA rule that gives players on a team who lose their head coach a 30-day window to enter their name in the transfer portal without penalty and retain immediate eligibility. So that's why Bond is in the transfer portal now, even though the portal closed for everybody else on January 2nd. So can he talk Bond off that ledge? I have people telling you behind the scenes that Texas will likely land Isaiah Bond's services if he does choose to play elsewhere for the foreseeable future. And Bond is a guy who really showed some development as this most recent season wore on. A season that felt a little bit devoid of playmakers on the outside. Of course, Jalen Milrow had a ways to go at quarterback. I think both of those things we're really heading in a positive direction by season's end. And Isaiah Bond would be a huge gift for Steve Sarkeesian as he and his staff look for another wide receiver to replace the guys that they are losing to the NFL draft or because they're out of eligibility in Jordan Whittington's case. To get Matthew Golden from Houston, Jonte Cook waiting in the wings, already on the roster, and Isaiah Bond, yeah, that's a pretty good plan B, or I guess what becomes a plan A for this upcoming football season. Looks like New England now knows who their next guy is going to be as well. The guy replacing Bill Belichick. How about Drob Mayo? Played for Belichick. Coach for Belichick and now is his successor in New England. He will be formally introduced next week. Mayo is 37. He becomes the youngest head coach in the NFL, taking a title from Sean McVay. He's a month younger than McVay, actually, which is just crazy to think about how long McVay has been the head coach of the Rams. And he won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, so he's even younger at that time. Mayo played linebacker for the Patriots. For several seasons from 2008 to 2015. He's a first-round draft pick out of Tennessee. Joined the coaching staff in 2019 and this last year coached the linebackers. Hope this works out for Mayo, but boy, you want to talk about big shoes to fill for a guy who has zero head coaching experience? We've seen things play out in a positive manner before. I think Mike Vrabel is an example of that. I don't remember if Vrabel had DC experience. He definitely didn't have head coaching experience before he took over with the Titans. And it seemed like Vrabel was the obvious choice to replace Bill Belichick. Maybe Vrabel has other plans, or maybe he just couldn't come to terms, or maybe he just wanted a different situation than constantly having to answer questions about being Bill Belichick's replacement. 
But Mayo is the guy in New England. So congratulations to them on finding their guy. And just as quickly as that news cycle spun up just a couple of days ago, we now know the guys replacing the guys. DeBoer's a great coach in Alabama. Should not skip too many beats. But college football feels even more wide open now. And this is a wide open season in the sport where you had a bunch of good teams but no truly great teams. I guess Michigan is the closest you have to a truly great team, especially with what they were able to do in that national championship game and running away from the only other undefeated team in football, in college football. But even they had their flaws. J.J. McCarthy, who may very well be an NFL draft pick in April, a first-round draft pick at that, he's got the stature, has the physical abilities, even if the game tape looked uneven at times this year. You could argue that last year's game tape looked better for him with regards to his pro prospects. College football is about to get a lot more fun, in my opinion. The college football playoff expands to 12 teams, and Nick Saban is no longer a part of the equation. DeBoer will likely keep Alabama consistent, but there are no guarantees there. At least not as much of a guarantee as Nick Saban still being at Alabama for the foreseeable future. At that point, it feels like everybody else is playing for second or third in the SEC. I know Georgia has had some say-so on that as well. All right, coming up, it is a conversation recorded with Sam Paniotovic earlier today, handicapping the NFL playoff weekend and talking about various coaching searches. And yeah, we talked about Nick Saban and the likelihood of who was going to replace him before the DeBoer news dropped a little bit earlier. You're listening to Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Friday at about 6.15. means it's time to spend a couple of segments with my friend Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston. Also contributes to FoxSports.com. We actually have an article to discuss based on that this week. And he hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SPShoot. And this week... He joins me from a tropical paradise, and yes, we across the country are all jealous of that, even here in Austin. Sam, thank you for the call from the Dominican Republic. How you doing today? Oh, no complaints, my friend. Uh, it's good to be uh, good to be in the tropics, and you know, people are joking like, "Oh, well, you're taking time off during football." I've been working all day, <laughs> <laughs> so like, you don't really sleep during football season. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be with you on a Friday. Well, it's not just the fact that you are avoiding some really nasty weather that's blowing through the U.S. right now, but it's a pretty crazy time in the Boston area, too, considering uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots parted ways just a couple of days ago. So you're uh, avoiding that S-storm, too, even though I guess they do have his replacement uh, fully planned out now. Yeah, people have been texting me all day today, and and obviously, you know, like, I I don't really care. I don't cover the Patriots, (laughs) nor do I pretend to. Um I thought the hire was interesting. Gerard Mayo, um, guy's been with Bill forever, played for Bill, coached under Bill, and that's fine. I thought Vrabel would have been a slam dunk. I've been saying that for about six months. Agreed. But yeah, I, I think Mike Vrabel's just like he's he's cut his teeth. You know, he did the assistant work at Ohio State, coached Tennessee. The players all love him. But look, the reality is, whoever replaces Bill is never going to be Bill. 
And uh, I think it's a fascinating conversation because, you know, I was getting a lot of flack all year on the betting show that we do on this. And, and I'm saying, look, like you got to get rid of Bill. And people are like, you don't know anything. You don't know football, nice glasses, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, like you have to appreciate what he's done, but you also, you have to know when to move on. And, and the team has just been, if you go back like the last six NFL drafts and look at the talent that hasn't actualized, it's astonishing. And, and he's in charge of that. He's in charge of player personnel. He's in charge of drafting and developing. And, and the cupboard is bare because of Bill. Yes, Bill has been amazing. Bill is maybe the best NFL coach ever, but it's also time to move on. Exactly, and by the way, he's also gotten really sloppy with his coaching hires too, and there's no better evidence of that than uh, what's been happening on the offensive side of the ball the last couple of years with the coordinator. I, I just thought it was fascinating that you get Saban to retire and then you get Belichick to essentially move on within the span of what 36 hours like two titans of coaching both go to the wayside in the same week yeah let's talk let's talk a little Nick Saban because there is a a lot more uncertainty with regards to who replaces Saban at Alabama than the contingency plan that was apparently in place in New England all along even though I completely agree with you Vrabel was the right hire there and hopefully for Pats fans they didn't screw that one up Uh, Lots of names being thrown around with Nick Saban. Initially, it was Dan Lanning. He came out yesterday and said, nope, that's not actually going to happen. Steve Sarkeesian's name has been mentioned because he does have ties to Nick Saban in Alabama, of course. But it does feel, at least here in Austin, like he's in as good, if not a better situation than if he were to bolt for Tuscaloosa. So who do you think uh, are the, uh, the smart choices right now for Alabama to go after in replacing Nick Saban? My first call is Lane. At Ole Miss. That'd be my first call if I'm at Alabama. I don't know if it happens. And again, like you and I, like we have our opinions. I, I have no idea what Alabama is going to do, but I can give you odds. There's a market on this at FanDuel, next Alabama head coach. The favorite, and I think you've been sort of talking about this, is Mike Norvell at Florida State. So he's two to one right now to take the job. Then it's Dabo at three to one. Then it's Kalen DeBoer from Washington, also at three to one. Lane is six to one. D'Amico Ryans is eight to one, and then there's just a huge drop. James Franklin forty to one, Pat Shermer forty to one, Sark forty to one, and Billy Napier at Florida fifty to one. Norvell's the favorite. I think that's that's probably a, a good idea. I mean, any of those guys, Norvell, Sweeney, DeBoer, Lane would be would be great. Um, I just you know, and I think the I had a conversation the other day like. Well, would Kirby Smart take the job? I said, what are you, what are you, stupid? Why, why would Kirby Smart <laughs> leave a better program? <laughs> I mean, right now, right now, as it is on January 12th, 2024, Georgia is a better program than Alabama, even if Alabama had Nick Saban. Georgia's better. Yep. Georgia has better recruiting classes. Georgia's won national championships. I, I, I never understood people thinking, well, Kirby will go there. Or Dan Lanning will go there and leave all the Nike money and the Big Ten money. Like, get real. It's got to be a guy. Like, I think Norvell and DeBoer would be probably my 1A and 1B. Um, But this is, again, you're, you're replacing, like Belichick in New England, you are replacing a legend. And if you don't win a national championship in three or four years, people are going to hate your guts. And that's because of how good, or great rather, Nick Saban was. Yeah, and the reality, too, is, and this isn't just the Alabama job, this is pretty much any job opening that 
appears across sports. Guys don't leave great situations for other great situations. They will leave a good situation for a great situation, which is why I think you could make the argument for DeBoer, but you also consider personality fit for a guy like that who who, uh, clearly thinks things through. And I think DeBoer, he has his eyes on the Michigan job more so than the Alabama job. It's a matter of whether he feels like if the Michigan job doesn't end up coming open, if Jim Harbaugh decides to stay there and deal with whatever ramifications the NCAA drops on Michigan now that the season is over with versus a guy like Mike Norvell, who, yeah, Florida State is a good gig, but there's a lot of uncertainty with the ACC right now. Florida State clearly wants to get out of that contract that has them bound to that conference until the middle part of the next decade, and there's no easy way out there. So for somebody like that, it's like, do I stay with Florida State, possibly the ACC, fall behind the eight ball with how much more money SEC and Big Ten schools are getting, or do I just jump, not just to the SEC, to one of the top programs within that conference, too? And you have to deal with now, you know, a very, very good Georgia program. You have to deal with Texas going forward. We'll talk about Texas, obviously, in a second. I mean, Georgia and Texas are two of the three highest power-rated teams in the country right now. So I, I get that it's Alabama, but Saban made Alabama, Alabama again. You know, it's not just like you, you don't just walk in there and everything falls your way. It, it took it took five years for him to lay the blueprint. And then obviously he repeated it for, for many more. Um, you mentioned Harbaugh too, again, and I, I can just give you numbers. I, I, I don't need to give you opinions. I can give you numbers. Uh, one offshore sports book in Costa Rica that's very respected has a market on Jim Harbaugh's coaching odds for 2024 NFL is minus 500. Wow. So you got to lay five to win one. That's a substantial favorite that he goes to the NFL. Coaching at Michigan is uh, plus 250. And then not coaching is 11 to one. So this shop is basically telling you that Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL, which plays into your point that the Michigan job is probably open. Hmm. All right, let's talk about the excellent piece that you wrote for FoxSports.com this week. People can go to your Twitter, at SP Shoot, or my Twitter, at Courtesy Wave, to grab a link to check this article out. The headline is, Texas CFP title odds, Quinn Ewers Heisman odds, and Arch Manning's future. You are taking a look at the immediate future for Texas football based on uh, the gambling perspective of things, based on the Vegas perspective of things, and based on that, the future is bright here in Austin for Steve Sarkeesian and company. It's a fascinating future that they have in Austin. And, you know, I know people don't want to talk about what's ahead. They want to talk about the now or maybe even the past. Well, you know, we did just lose in the college football playoff semifinal. And I understand all that, but patience is, you know, one of the toughest virtues in life. I look at what they've done on the recruiting trail. You haven't seen Texas pull off three straight top five recruiting classes in almost 20 years. You know, you got to go back to the Mac Brown, Vince Young era when, you know, they, they had a good recruiting class, then they win and they, uh, they beat USC. They had like the number two class the next year and, and, and everything was fine and dandy. And then obviously, you know, things, things didn't go as planned, but in terms of pure talent and power ratings, uh, it, it's, it's really simple. And I talked to a guy who bets college football very well and he makes his own ratings. And he said to me, Georgia's one, Ohio state is two and Texas is three. And, you know, my editor sends me a note on Monday and says, hey, you know, Arch Manning is clicking. Can you write something about Arch? And I said, well, what do you want me to write? Like, he's not even playing. <laughs> you know, Quinn Ewers is coming back. And he said, write about Arch. So I, I found a way to kind of paint the picture on Texas. And 
you know, when Quinn eventually leaves and Arch comes in, there's not going to be a big drop off. In fact, it's probably very minimal. But when you think about Arch in 2025 and forward, it, the sky is the limit for not only this player, but this program. And you throw Arch in after two years of seasoning and learning the ropes and understanding what it takes to be a college football quarterback and learning from an NFL quarterback in Quinn Ewers, and then you slide him in with the five-star wide receiver they just got and three other four-star wide receivers, <laughs> he's going to come in with keys to the Ferrari. You know, I mean, this isn't a Toyota Camry. This is a souped-up sports car. And, you know, people always say, well, he's going to transfer. He wants to put. No, he doesn't. This kid is committed to Texas. And even though Peyton played right away at Tennessee as a freshman, Eli didn't play basically until his third year. And he goes on to the NFL and wins two Super Bowls. So, like, there, there's no right path. This kid is clearly committed, though. And, I, I mean, you're talking about having the number three power-rated team in the country next year. And with Arch Banning at the helm, Trey, I mean, like, it might be a dogfight between Georgia and Texas in 25. Like, who's the most respected team in Las Vegas? Texas is literally knocking at that door in 2025. You don't want to wait till 2025? That's fine. I get it. But that's the reality. He is Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston. Contributes to FoxSports.com, as he did with this recent piece on Texas Longhorn football and their future. And he can be found on SP Shoot on Twitter, as well as the co-host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. And he joins this show every Friday during football season to break down the big matchups. We're actually going to do that coming up next segment. Look at uh, the six different playoff games from NFL's wild card round right here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. is the lead sports handicapper at Nesson in Boston, as well as a contributor to FoxSports.com, hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and it can be found on Twitter at SP Shoot. You can also hear him on this very show on Fridays during football season for a couple of segments, breaking down the biggest matchups, and all the biggest matchups are on the NFL side this weekend and going forward because the college football season is over with. All right, Sam, you have two money picks this weekend and we start with the very first game of the weekend that would be the Texans as two and a half point home dogs to the Cleveland Browns why do you like the Texans in this spot I think you have a better quarterback Um, I mean I know there's this knock on first time quarterbacks in the playoffs and all that but I I believe CJ Stroud is is different and I really think D'Amico Ryans has done a sensational job and he might not win coach of the year but Damn, is he deserving. You know, this is actually probably the coach of the year bowl. <laughs> you know, when you think about what Stefanski did with Flacco and, and what D'Amico's done with a team that picked second and third uh, in the previous draft. But, I look, I, one of the, the best betters I know took three. The threes are all gone on Houston. Uh, the two-and-a-halves are sort of disappearing, too. This is a really good defense, man. They're really good against the run, and I think their ability to get to Flacco is, is going to be sort of the, the game-changer, but – uh, it's just it's weird. Houston at home is is a dog, and I, I I don't know. I mean, like you can't make Houston the favorite because you're going to write no money on Houston. I guess this is a, a decent two way number, but we've seen some of the sharpest betting groups in the world come in and bet Houston plus three and bet plus two and a half. So 
if you could find a two and a half, I would take it. Um, Cleveland's been a great story, but I mean, this is a team that coming into the season, we were talking about Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb, and both of those guys have not even been in the equation. Cleveland's a good story. Houston's a better team. That's at least what I believe. The other game on Saturday is the matchup you warned us about in terms of the network. It is Dolphins at Chiefs on Peacock. The <laughs> predicted conditions for Saturday night at Arrowhead are minus one at kickoff. Yikes. By the way, uh, my co-host on my YouTube show, BK, believes he hypothesized that they put this game on Peacock, even though there are better games to waste on Peacock because he thinks the NFL wants to try and grab all those Swifty bucks who are having to uh, to pay for the Peacock channel for at least a, a single night to watch uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend in action. But uh, the, the Chiefs are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Boy, they're catching the Dolphins at the right time and with the right conditions as well. This does seem like a, a good time to go KC this year, even though Kansas City has uh, been a pretty big letdown this season. Yeah, Kansas City's in a great spot. I mean, you think about the fall from grace for Miami. You know, you and I talked a couple weeks ago, Miami's basically in the driver's seat for the two-seed. They're going to be at home all the way until a potential matchup with Baltimore, and now they got to go to Kansas City and – minus four degree weather. It's just not ideal. And, and Miami never has won in the cold. I mean, that goes back to the Dan Marino days. It's just not a team that's built for the elements. And um, I think Kansas City's defense is, is criminally underrated. You know, it's top five in a, a lot of the advanced metrics and all that. And um, I, I, so it's funny, I parlayed uh, last week, I parlayed Michigan money line and Chiefs money line. I, I'm halfway home. I, I'm going to root that through. I, I, I don't want to lay four and a half, Trey. I don't. I mean, I, I lean to the Chiefs. This market opened three and a half. It got blasted to four almost right away. I think on Monday, Monday morning, they laid three and a half to four. And now the the, the uh, garbage men, as you call them, are laying four to four and a half. So I, I think from a numerical standpoint, it's tough to lay four and a half. I mean, this is a, you know, that's a, a big key. You know, 21-17, now you're a loser. 24-20, now you're a loser. So you just can't be laying bad numbers. Maybe if you want to do like a – if you're looking for action on this game, I still think you can money line parlay like Kansas City and Dallas maybe. Like that feels kind of safe. Uh, that way you're not laying seven and you're not laying four and a half. But I, I'd be surprised if Miami won. I know they're a small dog, but this team just looks dead, man. They, they're running on empty, and now they got to go to, to Arrowhead and, and beat Mahomes and Reed in the playoffs. It's tough. First game on Sunday is Steelers at Bills. Buffalo is a 10-point hate favorite. The over-under is 35-and-a-half. I might give Pittsburgh a chance to stick in this game if T.J. Watt were playing, but he's not. And now I'm wondering how many points T.J. Watt is worth considering that Buffalo is now a double-digit favorite. He's probably worth about a point-and-a-half, I would say. And people would say, well, that's not a lot. That's actually... A lot for a defensive player. Um, you know, quarterback, the, the best quarterbacks in the league are worth five, six, seven points. Mm. Mahomes is probably worth seven. Um, but a defensive player, you know, you're talking about like your Miles Garrett, your TJ Watts, and your Michael Parsons. Those guys are all worth like a point and a half, two points. Um, it was expected that he wasn't going to play. I mean, this number open, I'm looking, Superbook open, Buffalo uh, minus 10. And, you know, the Watt news comes out and it it didn't really move because I don't think anybody expected him to play. If he's in, this number is maybe eight and a half, nine. Um, 
I, I hate the game, and the yeah. total has has come down too. I mean, that's the story with this market. The total opened forty one. You're seeing thirty four and a half out there, thirty five. Clearly, a bunch of bad weather. There, there's rumors that they might move the game out of Buffalo. It, it's just, I'm not laying anything with Buffalo. I like Buffalo. I think they're Super Bowl good, but they're also, if this makes any sense, they're erratic enough for any result. Like, yeah. would, would you be surprised if Buffalo lost? I wouldn't. I mean, they're just, they're like Jekyll and Hyde. Cowboys fans are squeezing right now because even though they are at home, where this team has been very good for uh, 16 games now, undefeated in that 16-game stretch, they are facing a Packers team that they have a history with in these playoffs, with Green Bay occasionally coming up and upsetting the Cowboys, including at Jerry World in Arlington. It happened just a few years ago. Mason Crosby had a game-winning field goal as time was expiring. The Cowboys are seven-point favorites here. The total is 50-and-a-half. Is there anything you like about this game, Sam? So the first thing I looked at for this game was what is the number on CeeDee Lamb's receiving yards? Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, Trey, you are paying a premium, 98 and a half at one book. Mm -hmm. At another book, 101 and a half. So the uh, playoff squeeze is real on CeeDee Lamb. I do (laughs) think he goes for a bill, for the record, but uh, there's not really much margin for error there. These are two of the most efficient passing offenses in the league. Everybody knows that about Dallas because Dallas is really good. you got Prescott and Lamb and Cooks, and they've got tight ends that can catch the ball. They're a good passing offense. Green Bay, though, surprisingly, is top five in passing EPA, expected points added per play. They've been very good, man, like six of the last eight weeks on offense. And it's, it's maddening because as a Chicago guy, this team's going to freaking go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love, and, and the Bears can't still can't find a quarterback going back to, you know, 2000 or whatever. Um, But I I lean over, I think this game, you know, 50 and a half, it's one of the higher totals on the board. You should see points. Um, I I like what Dallas does defensively, but look, Jordan Love's going to surprise some people here and I'm not going to call upset, but I, I have thought about this all week. Let's just say just, just hypothetically speaking, if Dallas loses this game, do you call Belichick? Jerry probably considers it. I know Mike McCarthy is gone if they lose this game, but where they turn to, I don't know. Do they try and elevate Dan Quinn as the head coach? Do you call Belichick? Do you go in a completely different direction? It's a great question. All right, we're going to completely neglect Philly at Tampa on Monday night. That's just an ugly matchup that I'll begrudgingly watch, I guess, because it is the final playoff game of the week. And the last game we're going to talk about today is is Rams-Lions. It is on Sunday night, so technically it's Sunday night football. Uh, the Lions are three-point favorites at home over a Rams team, and there are a lot of subplots here, uh, specifically involving each team's starting quarterback. Is there something you like about this game, whether it's the minus three for Detroit, the 51.5 total, or uh, maybe a yardage total for any individual player? So this is the second bet I made on the weekend, the first one I told you, Texans two and a half, taking the points. And I, I took Rams money line at plus 150. You can get a 145 out there right now in the market. I've been talking about this all year. I, I couldn't wait to bet against Dan Campbell in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I think that's a talented football team with a moron for a coach. And, I, you know, I could be wrong about that. If they win the Super Bowl, I will have to eat it. But this guy is just – he's so – He's like your drunk uncle at the blackjack table that just like gets a wrong card and loses everything in the next 25 <laughs> minutes. You know, when, when they were playing the Cowboys 
and they had that, you know, they were, they were down one and he goes for the win. I get it from the two. I understand it. You want to go for the win, go for the win. I love that. But then there's the flag and they move it five yards back. You're at the seven now and you go for two again. Are you stupid? Like, are you, are you stupid? And then he just lucked out that there was a flag on the other side. So then they move it back to the two and he goes for two again and doesn't get it. He's going to do something in this postseason, And I feel very good about this. He's going to do something that derails a very talented team from doing maybe something it hasn't done in a long, long time in Detroit. He's going to either like kick a field goal down eight with three minutes to go and never get the ball back, or he's going to go for it on fourth and two from his own 20 and they're not going to get, he's going to do something. I promise you that's going to hinder his team. It might not be this week, but I like my chances with Sean McVay against Dan Campbell. And really you have a Rams offense at the end of the day that is fully healthy, maybe for the first time all season. Stafford's healthy. Cooper cup is healthy. Nakua is healthy. Kyron Williams, the running back is healthy. The offensive line is playing well. I like the Rams. It's a little popular. I think the one thing that makes me nervous is it's a little trendy, but at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do. It's McVay against Campbell. And that is a serious mismatch. Yeah. And the Lions secondary has been very suspect at times this year as well. He is Sam Paniotovich, AKA Sammy P lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, a contributor to FoxSports.com. Please do go to either his Twitter account at SP shoot or my Twitter account at courtesy wave to snag his article from this week on Texas football, their future from the Vegas perspective. And he is also the host of the chicken dinner podcast. You can hear him on this show Fridays during football season, breaking down the big matchups, his favorite picks, which this week include the Texans at plus two and a half and the Rams money line. And he's been giving you winners all season long. Sam, thank you as always for the time. Enjoy the DR, my friend. All right, man. Peace and love. Thanks. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up, it's where we at in society. First, though, I needed to let you know about my friend Brian Hummel. The website is HummelRealtor.com. And whether you're looking to buy a new home or maybe you are looking to see how much your home is worth, look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin Realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process, Questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. It's been interesting to be here in Central Texas over the last year because we've actually seen the housing market cool off, relatively speaking. But guess what? Signs are pointing to that changing fast. It's actually a good time for buyers and sellers right now, which is why you should contact Brian today if you're either of those things at 512-619-1347. That's 619-1347. Or log on to his website at HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L Realtor.com. Brian Hummel, Realty One, the one you need.
It is the final segment of today's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism, has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. Today's Where Are We At stories, well, they begin with a focus on Gen Z. That's right. You may know a Gen Zer. You may be a parent of a Gen Zer. Gen Z is somebody who was born in the late 1990s all the way to 2010 or so. So pretty much late 20s to, let's call it 14 years old. Late 20s to 14 years old. My kids just miss out on that one. But I know plenty of you do have kids in this category. And you get it. Just like every younger generation, they think they know a heck of a lot more than they do. And they have their cool lingo when they're kids, when they're high schoolers, when they're college age. But eventually that falls out of fashion as well. And there are several areas where Gen Z is receiving a rude wake-up call, especially those who are in early adulthood now. You know what the generation after Gen Z is? Apparently it's Gen Alpha. I only know that because of this article that has to do with Gen Alpha kids criticizing the slang terms of Gen Z, saying this word is no longer in, it is out, this is what you need to be using now instead in some cases. This comes from, where else? TikTok. It's where Gen Z, Gen Alpha, and way too many other people reside these days, or at least spend way too much of their focus and attention. Well, a Gen Zer named Liv educated her followers last week with a lesson about slang terms that are in versus out with the help from her Gen Alpha little sister. In a three-minute clip from January 3rd that already has 34 million views. And now it gets attention from this radio show on a random sports station in Austin, Texas. A random, I mean 102.7 ESPN. So some of the terms that are now out, according to this TikTok video. The term fam, which often refers to close friends or homies. But the Gen Alpha kid in the video... Thought that fam means family. That's what I thought too. Apparently I'm cool like Gen Alpha now. She said that people use bro instead of fam now. Bro instead of fam. You know what? That makes sense as the dad of two Gen Alpha kids, the older of whom tries to look and sound cool and maybe a little bit older than she is. She calls me bro from time to time and I'm like, don't bro me. You're my kid. Dad me, but don't bro me. I'm not your bro. I'm your dad. Another Gen Z term that is out, and I'm glad this one is gone. I hate this acronym. BFF means best friends forever for anybody who's been living under a rock for the last 10 plus years. But Gen Alpha no longer uses BFF. Instead, they say BSF in text and whatnot. BSF. Any guesses on what BSF means? It makes no sense. 
until you consider what it does mean, I guess. Best friend is what that's slang for, BSF. That's more syllables than best friend, Gen Alpha. Just say best friend, or maybe even go with bestie. But apparently they put the S in there to differentiate between boyfriend and best friend. Again, I'm going to suggest bestie because BSF is just more work than you need. Pop off? Any idea what pop off means? A comment often seen under friends' social media posts, pop off girl or go off. Well, according to Gen Alpha, that is cringy. Instead, you should try hyping your friends up, according to this Gen Alpha person on the video, with the phrase, you ate that, you ate that, like you just ate a bag of chips or a BLT or something. You ate that. That's the replacement for pop-off. You ate that? That doesn't even make sense. Pop-off is idiotic, I understand, but it makes more sense than you ate that. Boy, you ate that. Bro, you ate that. You ate that? I didn't eat anything. I'm just commenting on social media here. I didn't Oh, my goodness. This is somehow getting worse. Bay, which I've always known as... One person referring to their significant other, let's say. Bay, and I didn't realize this was the this was an acronym. I always thought it was short for baby. Bay stands for before anyone else. And it was a popular pet name with many Gen Zers and millennials. But Gen Alpha says the term is now a no-go. They don't even give an alternative for that. They just say no more bay. I'm okay with that. Bay does sound a little bit forced. So does Boo, by the way. We can get go ahead and get rid of, rid of both of those right now. And Gen Alpha, let's go ahead and get rid of you ate that while we're at it. Dime, another Gen Z term that Gen Alpha claims is out. Guys call girls a dime. As in like a 10 out of 10. Because a dime has 10 cents. Yeah, thanks. We know what that means. Dime also used to mean to rat somebody out, and it can also mean to provide an assist on the basketball court, too. So Dime is versatile. But according to Gen Alpha, you should not be calling somebody who's attractive a dime. And one more term here. Fatty, P-H-A-T-T-Y. Person in the video says the term is like this. Here's some usage. She's got a fatty, like her backside. Somebody with a a large backside, as is described in the video. The Gen Alpha kid in the video declared that Giat, G-Y-A-T, Giat. is the new version of fatty. And that reportedly is shorthand for the GD cuss that I'm not going to say on these airwaves right now, or got damn. For those of you who are looking for the PG version of that, Giat is short for got damn. That's the new version of 
fatty, which doesn't make sense because the usage is very different. Or maybe you're just saying that as a sort of just a term. Like, wow, you're surprised. Giat. Giat. You ate that. Giat, bro. I sound like a Gen Alpha-er yet. Yeah, sorry, Gen Z. Your cool terms eventually fall by the wayside as well. Happens to all of us if we get old enough. Gen Z is also, I don't even know if I wanted to get into this story right now. I don't have the proper time to go through this. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change Gen Zers trying to change the definition of virginity, which is just absurd. Instead, we'll talk about Gen Zers apparently covering their noses in family photos now because they don't want to be made fun of for having to pose with their family by their friends. Like you're some colossal loser. If you're posing with your family in a vacation where your mom and dad have probably paid for your trip to some exotic locale, you're going to cover your face up so your friends don't make fun of you for that? Come on now. Gen Z, you're better than that. Have a little bit more self-confidence, Gen Z. I realize that your spirit was completely broken by COVID a few years ago, and you are extremely socially awkward now as a result. But get your hand down and take a picture with your family, please. Of course, 16-year-old me would have been all about this, covering the hand with the covering the face of the hand in a photo. I was all about messing photos up. So, you know what? I give you a little bit of respect for this one, Gen Z. All right, that is it for another edition of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back Tuesday at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and a happy MLK Day. And hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.